welcome to the eight. I'm happy that you guys are here. We are in part two of our series here um, called Becoming Orthodox on Purpose. Becoming Orthodox on Purpose. So this is very unique that we're doing this at the eight. This is our membership group here at St. Mark Church. Uh, and, and, and it involves a 30-minute talk, and it also involves a discussion in our life group uh, that m many of you guys have signed up for. So today we're talking about is the original mission statement. The original mission statement. You know, in high school, one of my least favorite classes was geography. I'm horrible at memorizing things. And I wasn't a big fan of geography. Like, uh, why do I need to know why this country is next to this country? Like, what's the big deal? I don't need to know where, next to ev where everything is. But the funny thing about geography is countries don't move. Like, there's a country, it's always next to this place, it's always next to this place of water, it's always next to this, like, they're, they're facts. But the map, which is the central piece of the geography class, helps me understand where everything is in the world. The map gives me structure and clarity to something that already exists. Everyone with me so far? The map gives structure and clarity to something that already exists. The same thing for people that follow Jesus Christ is that is already the, the, the truth of us finding the fullness of life, the truth of us finding our purpose and our identity and freedom is already there. But we need structure and clarity and knowing how to get there and how to have full clarity and how do I live for him and with him. And that structure and clarity for us as Christians has been the case for 2,000 years is something called the creed. The creed is to Christianity as a map is to geography. The creed is to Christianity as a map is to geography. It gives us clarity and structure on our identity of following, our identity of followers of Jesus Christ. Well, you know, Father Nathaniel, so, as long as you believe in something and you're sincere and genuine, like th that's all that matters. It's like you just, if you believe in something and you're, you're wholeheartedly involved and, just, and you believe it with all your heart, this is all that matters. This, we hear that many times. I've heard that plenty of times. And I'm sure you've heard that too. It doesn't matter exactly what, but as long as you're sincere about it, as you're genuine about what you believe in. I get it, and I respect that. On September 11, 2001, there was people that were genuine and authentic, and they believed something. They were, they were genuine about what they believed in. Believe, being authentic and genuine about believing something is half the picture. But you need structure and clarity on what you believe in, what you're putting your identity in. What are you pursuing? This is why over the early centuries of Christianity, they started noticing people kind of just like kind of going everywhere as far as what they believe about Jesus. And they said, you know what? We need to create structure and clarity and put all this stuff down on paper. I guess on papyrus paper, whatever the case was back then. They needed to write, make sure this stuff was written out to make sure there's full clarity and structure on what we believe in. Their goal was not to define God in this document. Their goal was not to define God, but to describe God. Their goal was not to define God. Their goal was to describe God. Many early Christians used this analogy in the early centuries. That if I go out to the, uh, to the ocean, and I take a cup of water, and I pour some water from the ocean to the cup, and I look at the cup, there's certain things I can learn about the ocean from the cup. I can learn about the properties of the water. I can learn the dynamics of the water. I can learn 
you know, wh whatever. I can learn about wh wh what's inside the water. I can describe the ocean by looking at this, but not can I say that this is, like, I, I can't define God just by looking at this, but I can describe who he is. So this is what early Christians did in putting together and constructing the creed. This was put in, this, uh, if you look at it historically, this was put together in the year 325 and in the year 381. One time in the city of, of Nicaea, which is in Turkey and in Constantinople. And these gatherings, there was Christians that got together in these cities that we know as councils. I'm sure you've heard the word councils. They would get together and say, okay, you know what? We need to create structure and clarity and what do we believe in as followers of Jesus Christ. And they got together in this big room. Hundreds, hundreds of church leaders got together and created clarity and structure in the fourth century that would help pave the way as far as what is our identity as followers of Christ. So as people started to want to come and follow Jesus in the early centuries, one of the first things that they would have to learn is the creed. Just like if you go work at, a, at Starbucks or at any a, a company, you need to learn your, your mission statement. I remember when I, when I had my interview for, for dental school, like I just had to memorize like the mission and, and, and statement of, of Howard University like to, to show that I, like, I, this, is my, this is the vision that I want to follow. It's the same thing with us. Like for our vision of where we want to go, we need to make sure that we like, can understand the structure and clarity that is written in this document known as the creed. So many early Christians followed this. The beautiful thing that we should take pride in about this document as one of the leading pioneers of people who put this document together goes by the name of Athanasius, St. Athanasius. He was a Coptic deacon at the time who helped put this together. So the Coptic church had a, a big role in putting this document together that we know today, 2,000 years later, we know as the creed. So again, early Christians you know, had to learn this creed like their name to understand what they are wanting to pursue. People that who wanted to follow Jesus needed to fully understand what is this document that we know as the creed. So I'm going to read now something from the early centuries of a bishop who said this to, to people who were wanting to become Christian. He, when he would teach them about the creed, just like this, just like this right now, 2,000 years ago, he would say these words exactly. The bishop... I'm quoting him as far as what the bishop said in his class to people who are looking to follow Christ. Now the faith the church commits to you is confirmed by God's word in the scriptures. Not, any, not everyone, however, can study the Bible and know it thoroughly. Some lack the education, other the opportunity. For this reason, we are given a summary of the whole teaching of the Christian faith in a short formula. Easy to remember, so no one will be lost through not learning it. We call this formula the creed. It consists of 12 brief articles which have been collected from the scriptures and drawn up in a way people can easily memorize. The time has now come for me to teach it to you. I want you to commit it to memory word for word. Do not write it down on paper. Write it in your hearts so that you will never forget it. Say it, say it over every day among yourselves before you go to sleep at night, before you go out of your house during the day, fortify yourselves with the creed. And as I explain it to you, believe it and be ready to recite it publicly next week. That's, that doesn't apply to you. But. <laughs> the creed is part of your Christian armor. It is a provision for your journey that you must retain as long as your life lasts. Never accept any other faith than this. 
not even if I should change my mind and say something that contradicts what you are now being taught, no, not if the spirit of darkness were to disguise himself as an angel of light and lead you astray. Guard it with the utmost care, or the old enemy will seize the chance to ruin you by tempting you to prefer your own notions to the teaching of the church. Or else some false Christian will deceive you by misrepresenting the truths that have been handed on to you. Let me, let me just pause right there. I love that part. The bishop is saying, even if I go cuckoo and lose my mind, what I'm telling you now, you need to live this, and you need to apply this in your life. This, this is your armor. Like, uh, look at the humility. Say, I don't, this, this is above me. This is beyond me. I don't care. It's not about me. I'm here just to rely to you what I have received. I'm giving you the fullness of life. I'm just giving you this. It's up to you. I want you to take that and use that as an armor, even if I lose my mind. Because you know what? It's not about me. He continues. Faith, you might say, is like cash paid over the counter. I am handing over the cash to you now. But God will require an account from you on what you have received. Remember what St. Paul said to Timothy. I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Jesus Christ, who gave testimony before Pontius Pilate, to keep this faith that is committed to you, spotless until our Lord Jesus Christ appears. A treasure of life has been entrusted to you, and at his coming, the master will look for the deposit. So this early Christian bishop organized the creed. He looked at it as 12 sections. But for the sake of our conversation, I want us to look at it into four parts. Into four parts. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then the church. Those are the four parts I want us to have how to look at it. But every time that we hear the word God, every time we hear the word God, Christianity throughout the centuries has understood God being Holy Trinity. Early Christians, and even us now, when we think of God, we are thinking of Holy Trinity, which is three persons of one essence. That's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are three distinct persons with different roles and work in different ways. But at the end, they are of the same essence. There are tons of examples, and in this right there, just talking about the Trinity can be another course by itself. But let me give you just one simple analogy. The sun, S-U-N, the sun. There's the sun that you can see. There's a sun that you, that, that, that's in the sky. The light that comes from the sun is something that you can see. The light is something that you can see. Also coming from the sun, the S-U-N, is heat. Heat you can't really see, but you can feel it. So it's the same thing with God the Father as being the source, as being the, the sun, S-U-N, giving out light, light which you can see, which is Jesus, which is the sun, S-O-N, and then you have uh, heat, which is something you can't really put your finger on, but you know it's there. Like you know that the sun is relieving, is giving out heat. You can't say, oh, that's heat right there. You can't, you can't see it, but you know it's there. And that is God's spirit working within you and me. That is the Holy Spirit. So let's jump right into this document, this original mission statement that Christians have, 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 have followed their, throughout the centuries and that we continue to follow now. It begins that we believe in one God, God the Father, the Pantocrator, creator of heaven and earth and all things seen and unseen. Right from the get-go. The church wanted to make sure that it's not, now you believe this, you believe that, you believe this. But this is a church family all together. Again, reiterating the communal aspect. 
that, that it was a church family. It wasn't just high and by on Sundays. But we believe this is our mission statement. Everyone would always look toward the east and just, just and it would belt us and, and, and say it all together that we believe in one God, God the Father, the Ponce Cross War. They understood right from the go. They wanted to make sure that God, who's creator of all, that this God that we believe in, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is above our logic, is above time, is above space, and, ab- and above matter. This is the God that we are wanting to follow. But why on earth did the early Christians wanted to say God the Father, and then they used another word, the Pantocrats word? Why? Why Father, and why Pantocrats word? What's, what's, wh- why did they emphasize both of those things? There's Father and Pantocrats word. Father is showing the relationship of who God is to us. That above all, he is our heavenly dad. That it's based on a relationship. But 100%, our father is also all-powerful. Actually, the, the word pansokratwar, like, it means like he encompasses all, and all of the world, all of the universe is in his hands. He is in control of all. That's why we use the word pansokratwar instead of just saying almighty, all-powerful, because it's much more than that. And you see tons of words in services that are not translated directly. For Amen. Hallelujah. Those are, wor- those are Hebrew words that we use because they mean so much that there's no one direct translation of it. So the church from the early centuries, and we continue now, we say God the Father, the Pantocrator. If he was just dad, let's just say he was just father, then like, you know, it, it, it wouldn't carry much. But he's also a powerful dad that cares for us. If he was just Pantocrator, just a sovereign ruler that's just wanting to like just be mean, then he's just kind of like, like Robocop. He's just like a mean guy that's just like powerful. But, it, but he's also father as well. He's a powerful dad that loves us beyond belief. The second part of the creed is about the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus. Throughout the early centuries, there was a lot of different misguided people that would, would, would say different things about Jesus, of who he is. A lot of people would say, you know, he was just a really good guy. He was just a holy guy. Like, he was a good guy. Like, that, that was, like, one heresy, they would call it. Like, one bad thought that was against the original, like, who, who Jesus is. So the church wanted to really bring structure and clarity to knowing who Jesus is. So they, they kind of emphasized on who Jesus is. And they said this. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Why, from the get-go, and you've heard this before, why in the get-go did they use the word begotten? If I beget someone, it is a real word, beget. If I beget someone, we are of the same nature. Like, I beget a child. If I create something, it's below me. I beget a child. It's the same genetic makeup and same, uh, same material of what I am made out of. But I create a chair. I create a cake. Creation is something below but beginning is of the same essence. It's made of the same material. Does that make sense? So from the get-go, the early, early church wanted to make sure that Jesus is the only begotten son of God. Begotten of the Father before all ages. He is light of light, true God of true God. Begotten, not created, of one essence with the Father by whom all things are made. All that is saying the exact same thing, that he is God. He is God. He is God. 
He is fully man and he's fully God. And they kept on reiterating with all that stuff that he's begotten, he's begotten Son of God, begotten the Father before all, just light of light. They kept, on, they kept on using all these different analogies. Like if I take two pieces of candle, uh, two candles, I mean, and, I, and I, I, I light both of them, you won't be able to tell which one was lit first or which one was lit second. Like if I take one, I, I light them behind my back and I show you. You don't know what the difference between which one is older than the other. They're both of the same essence. You can't tell the difference between which candle is, is different than the other, which one is older. or They're the same. Light of light. So all that is reiterating that, that Jesus is not just an amazing guy and like he does so many great things and we love him. No. But he is 100% God and 100% man. Who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate, he became flesh, he became real, he became tangible of the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary, and he became man. So that part is basically saying that God became fleshy. God became tangible. God became personal. God became real. It's not, he's not just somebody high in the sky. He became real, desiring an intimate relationship with us. The summary is this. For us to understand the nature of the Son and then the mission of the Son. The nature of the Son is that he is 100% God and 100% man. The mission of the Son, his mission on earth, is to restore us through humility. Restoration through humility. God didn't say, yeah, yeah, you guys need to clean your acts. You guys are being rude and, 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 and jealous and prideful and lustful. You guys need to stop that. You guys need to be good, good, good. I'm going to send you a text of what you need to do. No, he became real. He became personal. He, became, he restored us through humility. He didn't just say, hey, uh, check your mail. I sent you out of how you need to be a good person. No, he said, you know what? I'm going to come down myself. I'm going to roll my sleep. I'm going to show you. I'm going to live with you. I'm going I'm to cry with you. I'm going to live with you. I'm going to eat with you. I'm going I'm, I'm I'm to live with you to show you how you are designed to be. And how can I restore you? He did that through humility. The third part of the creed is talking about the third person of God. Yes, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified and spoke by the prophets. Who is the Holy Spirit to us? The Holy Spirit is what, or is, is he, it's not an it, the Holy Spirit is what makes God personal to us. You have been, I've been in situations before where you walk out of a conversation or walk out of a conflict and say, I know I shouldn't have said that. What is that inside of you that's making you say that? It's God's Spirit inside of you saying, you know what, maybe you need to work on that. You know, this, this addiction, this whatever, this habit, it's kind of owning you. You know it. That little voice inside of you is God's Spirit working within you. Those are the first three parts that the early Christians wanted to create structure and clarity to on this document known as the Creed. But then there was this hard shift away from Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit into talking about the church. And in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Why on earth? Couldn't we just say that God is great and we love God and we come to spend time with him? What, what's the big deal about church? Like, church is good for some people, but the most important thing is the relationship with God, right? Some people will tell me that. Like, the, uh, my, my personal time with God, that's all that matters. Church is where all the, the judgmental people and just people are just always staring at me. I, I don't want to go to church. But my personal relationship with God, that's what matters. That's what matters. Throughout the early centuries, they reiterated and made it super clear that the church is just as important 
we need a whole holistic life that the church is just as important as believing in God, Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That the church is needed in order for me to reach the fullness of life. And they said in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. They said that we are the church, this body, we are one. Jesus didn't create multiple churches. He created one church in order to bring healing for us. And church is a hospital. And he said, I'm creating, I'm wanting to have a church that is my body. I'm the head, but the church is my body, and I want us to be as one church family. I didn't create multiple bodies. I created one body. So the early Christian says that we, and in one, and they said in holy. They said this is not just a regular organization. This is not just you know, a, a YMCA of Coptic people coming together. No, he said, this, this is, a, this is a, a divine organization. This is a divine organization. That this is a holy gathering, this a holy body. And then they used the word Catholic. Not Catholic the way you think of it, like Roman Catholic, no. Catholic actually was the, was the, the name of the church that was given uh, before there was any splits in the church, saying the church was Catholic, meaning it was all-encompassing. Actually, the original word is it's according to the whole. That the church was universal. That it was above time and was above culture. The church was above time and is above culture. The church is Catholic. And the church has its root in being apostolic. The church has its root in being followers of the followers of Jesus. That there is a, a clear continuity. There's a clear continuity from what Jesus told 12 disciples and Jesus appointing 72 other leaders of the church and them going to, to create more disciples, there is a direct continuity between the head of the Orthodox Church now all the way back to the apostles. There's a clear continuity in this one holy Catholic and apostolic church. There was an early Christian named of St. Cyprian of Carthage, which is he was a Christian in, in, the, in the country of Tunisia. And he said this, you cannot have God as your father without the church as your mother. You cannot have God as your father without the church as your mother. You cannot have the church, you cannot have God as your father without the church as your mother. The church is what holds our hands and guide us on, on how to, to build deeper relationships, of how to have vulnerability, of how to lean on each other, of how can I find healing through the sacraments. That the we are relational beings. We are relational beings. So the church is where we find wholeness, where we find healing. So I cannot just say, yeah, yeah, God is my God, is my father, God is my father. No, but you also need a mother as well. And that is the church. The last part of, of the creed ends with, we confess one baptism for the remission of sins, and then we belt this last sentence, that we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. Amen. All of us looking east, all of us looking for new life, we say that we look for the resurrection of the dead. Apply that on a low level and apply that to a high level. That th this death of, of, of this habit, of this anger, of this relationship, whatever, I need new life, I need new resurrection, I need to reset this button, I need to restore this. Where we are looking for the resurrection of the dead and for the life that is to come, because we know 100% there's more to life than this. We know that there's more to life than this. And we're pursuing and having our eyes focused on wanting more. That we look for the resurrection of the dead and the age that will come, because we know life does not just end here. That is our original mission statement as early Christians. 
that we belt out in every service all throughout Orthodox churches and even Catholic churches and, and other uh, Protestant churches declare this as well. But this is a staple and platform and foundation of Christianity that existed from the 4th century till now of why it's such a big deal of having structure and clarity to who we are so we can become Orthodox on purpose. All right, let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, every single one of us, I'll speak for myself, sometimes we just go on autopilot of just saying the creed and, and just getting through it and not even know of how did we finish it and, and just kind of daydream and it passes by us. But Lord, help us to see the depth and, and, and the richness of this decree of this creed, of this statement that brings life to us. Help us not just recite it on paper, but allow it to live within us. As that, as that early Christian bishop said, that this is our armor, and this what gives us clarity and structure for us to follow you as we pursue the fullness of life. Through the prayers of all your saints, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.